Good morning. My name is Matt Kinneman. <laughs> I think most of us know each other, and it's always, it's always great to see you again, and great to be with you. It's, it's been just over a year, but to me, it seems like yesterday. It really does. And, and thank you for uh, everything you do to make this a great church to come visit once a year and feel at home in, really. And what we'll reflect on this morning is, is something that I'm working on in my Christian life, and I trust it will be helpful to you. But I know this. It is definitely something each one of us can work on, and each one of us can do something about. I have no doubt about that because God's word is, is clear, and you'll see that. So it's a new year. Including today, we have 361 days in this new year. And that's hopeful. That's always nice to have that sense of newness and resolution. It means almost all of our opportunities are still ahead of us, but it means that almost all of our fears and unknowns are still ahead of us as well. And remember last year we talked about the question, what if? And how the question, what if, can plague our lives because it's all about fears and unknowns. And we read Psalm 46, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And we saw in Psalm 46 that what if is a phrase that's made of the wrong two words, that there are some other two-word phrases in Psalm 46 that sweep what if aside. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God will help her at break of day. Be still and know that I am God. If you can keep all of that sort of in the, in the background or as the, as the foundation, that would, make, that would make sense. But let's shift our metaphor, our thoughts to the race. Now, as Christians, we are in a race. The race is a very prominent metaphor in Scripture. A few pictures of it. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who went before us, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In 1 Corinthians, we read, Do you not know that in a... All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. In, first, in 2 Timothy 4, we read the well-known scripture, I have fought the good fight. I have finished thee. I have kept the faith. The Christian life is a race. The life of discipleship is clearly a race. And you may wonder why, as people who are trying to follow God faithfully and reading Scripture and maybe even at it for a while, you may wonder why we so often feel like we're not running that well. Sometimes we feel like we're losing the race that we're in. How is it possible that we, that we feel that way? Well, it's because we're human. It's because we are fallen, imperfect, finite, limited creatures. The truth is, in our experiential life, we're plagued by scarcity. 
Think about the scarcities you know. What's in your wallet? Not much. But not that kind of scarcity only, because that's one of the first that comes to some of our minds, material scarcity. But there are other scarcities. Maybe the more important scarcities are the scarcities of the Spirit. And we're on a road of sanctification, discipleship. We're not, we're not there yet. So when you try to name your scarcity, or the plural of that word, it's not hard to come up with a short or a lengthening list. But as is almost always true, it seems, when we look at a question like this, it's not the end of the story. Because we are people of faith. And faith is full of surprises. If faith is full of anything, it's full of surprises. And here's a surprise. You might be facing an abundance and not even know it. What did Jesus say as recorded in John 10.10? The thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy, but, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He meant something. He didn't mean, I have come that they might have life and have it with more scarcity. That's not what he meant. We might be facing an abundance and not even know it. You know, I grew up in a, in a, in a series of decades, as many of, a long parallel with many of you, in which we heard all the time that we were running out of oil. In fact, only a few years ago, I remember specifically when the Deepwater Horizon Gulf oil spill was underway, one of the, one of the themes of the news coverage was this backdrop of, we're running out of oil, we need to find something else because oil is scarce. Guess what? It's not. We have more oil than we almost know what to do with. Now, we're not sure we want to, some people are not sure we want to do anything with it, but, you know, it's a political divide. But the truth is, through, through, through the creative application of technology and discoveries, we're not running out of oil. We, there's a nationwide and worldwide oil boom underway, and that's only part of the story. There's a natural gas boom. We haven't even touched nuclear energy. So 70-something reactors are being built in the world right now. Only four are being built in the U.S., but when it comes to this thing we, we started to hear about and assume such a big fear factor in our lives, the energy crisis, there's not one. Why do we now know that? Because there have been some surprises along the way that nobody could have foreseen. I only mention that so you'll keep it in mind as a picture of the way faith works. Scarcity is never the end of the story when it comes to the spiritual qualities that God wants us to live in and exhibit and share. There are surprises he'll bring along the way. Now, from oil to a scriptural example of this principle, the woman at the well. The woman at the well was experiencing a scarcity of water, and she didn't like coming to the well every day to draw water. She was weary of this. Do you remember that? She was weary of the necessity of addressing her scarcity of water. But she knew she had to just continue in this. She had to continue. So when she got 
maybe past the surprise of being spoken to by Jesus and all of that unlikeliness and all of, all of what was wrapped up in the, in, the, in the unpredictability and unlikeliness that they would even have this conversation. As she assimilated and adjusted to that surprise, she got another surprise. Ask, and I will give you living water welling up to eternal life, and it will never run out. You'll never have a scarcity again. So she said, show me where I can find this water. You'll see that throughout Scripture, if you read it with this lens, our spiritual scarcity is always answered through the surprises of God's grace. So let's turn to, let's turn to our main Scripture for today, 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. You know, another thing that a lot of us grew up with was, let's turn to, let's open your Bibles and turn to. Now, I still take my Bible to church, uh, but my wife doesn't take her Bible to church anymore. She just she ha- she does take her Bible to church. That's the wrong way to say it, but it's on her. It's it's it's, a, it's an app. She uses a, one of the many Bible apps. So she has she has access to a whole bunch more resources actually during the church service than I do here, with uh, with that. But how, is anybody here using a device this morning to read scripture? Just the rest of us are coming along. Yeah. <laughs> So 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15, and keep a backdrop in mind here. Paul was talking about about people being ready for the Macedonians and the gift that had been promised to them. So that's the idea here. He wants wants them to be assured and ready to, to give the abundant gift that had been promised to the Macedonians. So let's pick it up at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's look at, especially for a moment, at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you notice a pattern in that verse? Yes. It was the word. Count them up with me. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, 
at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. I'll count that. It's not the word all, but it goes with it. In every good work. All, 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 and every. Do you remember an advertising pitch from a few years ago? Who says you can't have it all? I wasn't talking about God's grace. But think about this from 1 Corinthians 9.8. We've not only got it all, but when it comes to God's grace, we've got all, 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 and every. That's a lot of grace. Remember the metaphor of the race? We've got grace for the race. We're running our race with the endless supply of God's grace. That's what the Bible says. You put two and two together, that's what it says. We run our race with God's grace. We run our race in God's grace. You remember the, the verse that says we are more than something? We're more than conquerors. We don't always feel like we're more than conquerors. We don't even feel like we're conquerors. Never mind more than conquerors. But running our race with that endless supply of grace, it makes us that way, spiritually. Feel it or not, it's the reality, it's the truth. It makes us that way. That's the, that's the spiritual fact of the matter. Now think about some famous races with me, which you've never probably pictured yourself being part of, the hero of. The original marathon, when Pheidippides, in, as the legend has it, 490 B.C., ran in the summer heat 26 miles, as, we, as it was measured later, from Marathon to Athens to deliver good news that the Athenians had defeated the Persians. And when he arrived with his message, the legend says his, his words were, Rejoice, we are victorious. More than conquerors. It fits. You're like, you're like Eric Liddell, the hero of Chariots of Fire, gold medalist in the 1924 Olympics, one of the quotes from him that I love so much is, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's the picture of the Christian life, that the spiritual abundance that God calls us to. How about Roger Bannister? He originally broke, he was the one to originally break the four-minute mile barrier. This was considered humanly impossible at the time up to that point in history, had been considered undoable. His running of that initial breakthrough was, is, has ever since been dubbed the Miracle Mile. It's not a bad name for us as Christians to appropriate as we run our race. God said, Jesus said, with man, this is possible. But with God, all things are. You're like Roger Bannister, running the impossible odds against the miracle mile and succeeding. And Jesse Owens, our fourth racer we'll look at. Jesse Owens won four gold medals in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. The important thing about that setting is this was going to be Hitler's showcase for, for his domination uh, through his Nazi philosophy. And the idea of a black American coming in and beating his athletes was unacceptable. But that's what Jesse Owens did. And you may remember the detail of the story that Hitler was so infuriated he left the stadium. And I like to think of that as Jesse Owens through his performance driving out the forces of darkness. Amen. And then better put, we as Christians 
running our race in God's grace, appropriating that idea to as we run faithfully in the strength that God provides, we can force out, kick back the forces of darkness. We are victorious. We can run with pleasure. Through God, we can see the impossible happen. We can drive back the forces of darkness. Now, that's not a bad race to be running. The images of those races do provide us with a picture of what God's grace is like in our lives. It makes us glad, makes us strong, makes us fast, makes us be on the side of righteousness, makes us like Nike. Nike means overcomer. Did you know that Nike is, is, a, is a Greek word that means overcomer? Awesome. So when you see that swoosh, it's okay to like the brand, but think a step further than that. Remember who you are in God's grace. You're a Nike. The truth is, in the abundance of God's grace, we too are destined to live in abundance. But don't, don't make the mistake of picturing this as earthly riches. As clearly as it can be said, let me say, there is no health and wealth gospel in the Bible. But there is a gospel of abundance in the Bible. There's a gospel of spiritual abundance. There's the gospel of the abundance of God's grace. And... Some of us in this world have more than others of us in this world. Some of you have more than the person next to you. Material levels of abundance, God only says one thing about those. Use them, use them well. Use them correctly and be generous. So let's go beyond that and realize that today's scripture is describing something much more important than those things. Much more important than earthly wealth. It's describing the abundance of the Spirit that makes everything else make sense. That puts everything else, including material things, in their proper order. So the big question is, how do we live in that abundance? Because we've already established that's not something we feel all the time. But how do we live in it? The answer is actually very simple. We get it by giving it away. It's not for me to decide for anybody but myself where I need to do better in exhibiting a generous spirit. And it's only for you to decide between you and God that same question. Where do you need to give more? So I won't even take a shot at, at guessing or suggesting. You do that between you and God. My job is to do the same thing. Where do I need to do better in my Christian life of living with a generous spirit, of being a cheerful giver? Enjoying the spiritual abundance that God promises to us proceeds directly from the practice of a generous spirit. Let's look at today's scripture again one more time with that specifically in mind. As you think about the question of where God is calling you, nudging you, convicting you to do better in the practice of generosity. Again, remember, not just materially, but in the, in the more important ultimate realm of the spirit. And listen to what you're hearing here in today's scripture. 
with this question in mind, are you hearing scarcity here in this scripture? Or are you hearing abundance? Let's take a look at it one more time. Are you hearing scarcity or are you hearing abundance? Remember this. Here's the scripture. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he, the righteous man, has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Just a side note, as the believer scatters his gifts, what increases in his life? You just saw it. His righteousness. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It's like a waterfall picture here, isn't it? It just keeps coming. Verse 13, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All, 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 and every. An abundance of grace. Living water. Ask for it, receive it, share it. When you lack, give. In a race, everyone knows that the runner actually gives everything he's got. And we're in a race. God's economy is different from our human thinking. God's economy is built on multiplication, not subtraction. The economy of the Spirit is built on multiplication, which is more powerful than addition, and squashes subtraction. Our thinking is often built on subtraction, on the limited, limited something that we need to keep and hold on to, time, energy, Whatever it is. That's not, the way, that's not the way it works in what's being described here today. God multiplies what you give and returns it to you in an abundance and in surprising ways we never could have foreseen. In this regard, think about the widow's might. The widow's might was looked on by those who considered themselves righteous, who had it all together, as a gift so small as to be meaningless. But God looked on it as eternally worthwhile. And amazingly, he is still multiplying that gift this very day. Every time that testament is read from God's word, 
The gift of the widow's might is being multiplied again in the hearts of those who hear it. There's no end to the way God will multiply his grace and also multiply the generosity of our spirits as we follow him and return to us the abundant spiritual life that we all seek to live. Is that making sense? Our calling is to practice the kindness of a generous spirit from the abundance of grace that God has given to us. And we each know where we need to do that. Are we supposed to do that with our money and with our means? Yes. That's not only appropriate, that's part of our calling, and we have scriptural guidelines for that. But also, as I mentioned a moment ago, in the ultimate, in the ultimate sense of things, in the ultimate reality of things, we're called to be practitioners of, a, of generous spirits in our kindness, kindnesses, in our gentle words, in our patient demeanors, in our counting ourselves less important than others, in all of those things that are actually a whole lot harder than giving some money. And again, it's not the big, visible, measurable, demonstrable offerings that seem to matter in this whole thing. It's those that are almost invisible or perhaps invisible to others, invisible to everyone but God himself. When you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is giving and your father, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Everything else other than that, our reward is in this life and comes from the hand of man and the estimation of man. But when we give in secret, our Father who sees in secret counts the reward differently, and it's in His hands. So in God's mysterious economy, despite the scarcities we live with, when we live lives that are generous in spirit, according to what we read in 2 Corinthians 9, God always multiplies to accomplish something bigger and better than would have otherwise happened. As we close, I'd like to share two quick stories with you. And I hope that neither one of them comes across as too silly for church. But I really don't think either one of them is. The first is a true story. The second is taken from the realm of fiction. The first one happened about, I'd say, oh, 35 or so years ago, when two brothers on an afternoon after school were on a mission because McDonald's was running a special, and this was before the value menu. They were running a special right here in North Kingstown of five hamburgers for a dollar. This was too good to be true. In fact, another kid in the neighborhood was so excited, he went down and $12, bought 60 hamburgers, put them in his freezer, figured he was set for life. <laughs> so these two brothers go to McDonald's. The plan is set. Each have a dollar. Get five hamburgers each. And each brother has a bag of hamburgers and has now left the parking lot driving down Route 1. 
and both have hit the bag, having the first hamburger of the five. And one brother says to the other brother, can I have one of your hamburgers? And the other brother said, yeah. And the requesting brother said, wow, God's really working in your life. There are some times in life we just need to give away the hamburger. And I guess the point's not that there were still four for the other brother and he was okay. The important thing was that as far as anyone in that story could tell, the gift was genuine and came from a cheerful heart. Now a fictional account as you, I hope, will take with you a, a question to use somewhere along the way of when the right moment comes to give away the hamburger. There's one other thought here. I think saying the phrase or the word, the name Willy Wonka in, in this setting, it just sounds kind of frivolous, but Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it, in its original film adaptation, 1971, I'd like to look at it for a second. I haven't seen the remake, so I have no comment on that. But this is the 1971 version starring Gene Wilder. Charlie Bucket was an impoverished kid, lived with his parents and all four grandparents in a little, little space. And he would save his one Willy Wonka chocolate bar that he got on his birthday each year so it would last all year. And Willy Wonka was running a contest and he had distributed five golden tickets. And this was the thing that Charlie, of course, wanted more than anything in the world. And on the last, on the last possible night, when he had found some money, he bought two chocolate bars, and the last one he opened had the fifth and final golden ticket. So he went on the tour of the factory. He was one of the five kids who got in, along with Veruca Salt, Mike TV, Violet Beauregard, and Augustus Gloop. And if... You picture now what happened as they went through their day at the factory, the day when all their dreams were coming true. It was the selfishness of one kid after another that ended the dream, took away everything they had hoped to get, and either went down the chute or up the pipe, they were gone. And only Charlie was left. And Charlie... If we, can, if we can stretch this picture a bit, Charlie was a sinner too. He was not perfect. The other, kids had been, the other kids had been over the top in their selfishness and their impulsiveness to get through which they lost everything. But Charlie, he imbibed off on the side when he wasn't supposed to drink the bubbly drink and he went up and got down just before you know, he, was, he, 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 he would have gone up through the fan. He thought nobody saw that, but Willy Wonka knew about it. So as the, as the whole day closes out, he receives, Charlie receives the crushing news that he's out too because he broke the rules. He's banished. He will not partake of the good things that he would have gotten. Can any of you picture that scene? 
But Charlie repented. He, he changed his ways. He accepted the fact of his judgment. He knew he had done wrong. But he changed his ways. And he reached in and got what he thought he could have still gotten away with, the everlasting gobstopper, the candy that would last forever. And he just quietly placed it next to Willy Wonka. And at that moment, everything changed. And Willy Wonka's words were, so shines a good deed in a weary world. It wasn't Roald Dahl's quote, the author. It was someone else's quote. It's from The Merchant of Venice. It's a Shakespearean quote. There's a little more to it. How far that little candle throws his beams, so shines a good deed in a weary world. And the, the heart of the morality of Shakespeare's words are directly in accord with and actually preceded by the words of Scripture. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven, which fits perfectly into the Scripture from 2 Corinthians 9, which describes how our generosity ultimately results in praise to God. We're not saved through our good deeds. So shines a good deed in a weary world. It's a testimony to the salvation we received. It ultimately gives glory to God because it comes from hearts that are grateful for having been saved, been redeemed. Charlie gets back whole lot more than he gave. In fact, he gets the factory. And he gets to live there forever with his, with his whole family. But that's not why he gave. And that's not why we give. We give because God has saved us, has given us eternal life, and he's put it in our hearts now to live differently from the way we would have lived otherwise and to be people of generous spirits that's how his grace works in us. It's how his abundance is produced out of our scarcity. And when we live in that abundance, that spiritual abundance, we will find that our lives too are full, that our spirits are full. Cheerful giving in the ways that you've already identified you'd like to do better in is the very key to freedom from spiritual scarcity. And we read in Proverbs a nice summation of this about the life of the cheerful giver. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. And the feast is a picture of abundance. So may we as well enjoy a continual feast of God's grace as we live lives that give gladly and as we enjoy God's endless supply of grace and give out of that. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amen. Let's have the worship band come up.
and we'll have a, a closing song, and as they do, um, a quick prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the promises of your word, which we can live in and be assured of the truth of. And we pray that we would go out with glad hearts, generous spirits, ready to experience the spiritual abundance and the wonders and surprises in this way that you have promised to us. In Jesus' name, amen.